Christy Flannery of the Hockey News accompanies me on today's episode of Locked on Devils. We're going to get her perspective in regards to the New Jersey Devils this season. We're going to talk about her MVP of the team, her underrated asset, and also her X Factor. We're also going to talk about the offseason and her expectations moving forward. And before we begin today's episode, I just want to give a shout out to Christy. She was a trooper throughout the episode because she actually had to see her doctor because she had uh, some sort of eye issue. She talks about it early on during the interview. So I just wanted to uh, give credit where credit is due. Christy, you were a trooper and I appreciate your dedication and also your commitment to appearing on my show. There's a lot to break down in today's episode, Locked on Devils with Christy. Buckle up, everybody. Your Locked On Devils, your daily podcast on the New Jersey Devils, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hi, this is Bryce Salvador, and you're Locked On Devils with Trey Matthews. All righty now, what is up, New Jersey? Welcome back to the Locked On Devils podcast here on Locked On Network. I'm your host, college hockey play by play announcer, Devils Rider for Pucks and Pitchforks, and also part-time credential media member, Trey Matthews. I am joined alongside the fabulous Christy Flannery. She works at the Hockey News. She is a recurring guest on my show, and she is also my fellow credentialed media member. So, Christy, welcome back. It's time to talk about the season talk about the offseason and your expectations going into next year. All right. Thank you. I'm excited to be back. All right. So, Christy, uh, before we get into all this, how you've been doing, it's been, what, like a week since the last time I saw you because we were at development camp together. How, how you holding up? I'm good. I actually want to thank you for accommodating my time change today because I did have an emergency eye appointment earlier today. But we're good. We got some lenses, some eye drops. We're just trucking along. <laughs> hey, we – hey – Sometimes you got to wing it and that it's all good. And uh, I, I don't have to go to the movies until like after 9 p.m. So we're all we're all good on this show. Now, uh, to start off, Christy, uh, let's uh, just start off with the season in general. What was your initial thought uh, either before, during or after the season? Like, was this season successful for the New Jersey Devils? Would love to hear your thoughts on the matter. Of course, it was successful. I can't imagine somebody saying that it wasn't a success. This team had such an impressive turnaround. They made it to the playoffs when a lot of people thought that they'd be a bubble team at best. They were one of the best teams in the Metro for consistently the entire season. They made it to the playoffs. They won a round. This was a very, very successful season. Multiple players had career years. It was absolutely a success for this team. What went right in your opinion? Because go, like you said, going into the season, a lot of people – were anticipating for them to be sort of like that bubble team. They were swinging for the fences for like Johnny Goodrow, Matthew Kachuk, Alex DeBrincat, Kevin Fiala. Unfortunately, all those options fell through. They had to settle for Andre Pilat, Eric Halla, Brendan Smith. And basically, a lot of people were pushing for Lindy Ruff to be fired. People were underestimating Jack Hughes, Nico Keisher, and Jesper Bratt. Then come the deadline, they become buyers. I know I'm jumping ahead of myself, but basically uh, what went right in your eyes? Like what made it so successful? Everything. They didn't have the amount of injuries that they had last year. They had consistent goaltending, which I'll talk about in a little bit. They had their stars really step up. I mean, everything went right for this team as opposed to the season prior where everything went wrong. 
Right. So the one thing I said was that I felt like people were underestimating uh, our big three initially of Jack Hughes, Nico Heischer, and Jesper Bratt, because I was like, I think for Hughes, I felt as though he could get his name into the uh, into the MVP discussion because I was like, I I would not put it past him to have a Taylor Hall type of uh, season in which he just basically puts the team on his back. He's able to reach the 100-point threshold and lead the Devils to victory. I said Nico Heischer is a very good two-way player, and I said some circumstances hasn't gone his way because he was hit with COVID, uh, one of the – hardest ones on the team alongside with Mackenzie Blackwood that kind of slowed him down during the 56 game COVID year. He missed two thirds of it last year. He also had to deal with injury. And this past year, he sure played in the most amount of games he's ever played in since his rookie year. So that was my thing. I was like, he sure is a very good two way player. People were writing him off at saying he's never going to reach that superstar status. He'll be a solid player. But I was like, don't under, underestimate him. And lo and behold, he finished second in the uh, in the Selkie race. And then for Jesper Bratt, he bet on himself and he was able to notch himself a, a, a pretty decent contract in which he was able to uh, repeat 73 point seasons. So I think uh, just this the, just the big three stepping up in more ways than one. And like you just alluded to, consistent goaltending was also a big key for this uh, Devils team because a lot of people didn't know what Mackenzie Blackwood was going to do. Unfortunately, it didn't really go the way it was supposed to go. But then you got Vitek Vanacek, you got Akira Schmidt, who has become a huge fan favorite amongst this organization. And I said Lindy Ruff did not deserve to be fired because I was like, give him a chance. Because similar to Nico, he wasn't really given a fair chance to thrive. So I think what just made this season successful was that anything that could have gone wrong did not go wrong for the Devils because – you said, like you said, stayed healthy. They were able to keep most of their key assets on the rink for the most part. And um, I also want to get your thoughts on Nathan Bashan real quick, because um, the, the thing about Bashan is I talked about it on, on this show all the time in, in which I talk about his uh, utilization and his importance on the team. I always go back to an article you wrote back in December because you said Bashan going out was going to hurt the devils more than losing Palat and Blackwood, who were also injured at the time. And I sometimes hate it when you're uh, right, because in that case, the Devils had their worst month of the season in December when he was out for an extended period of time. What makes Bastion so good in your eyes? Because he doesn't stick out in any particular category, but yet the five-on-five numbers, he's just it just shows that the Devils are a much better team when he's out there on the rink. He knows his role. I mean, this is a guy that a couple years ago, when he met with the media before I was credentialed, he was saying that, you know, if anyone had to reinvent himself to really find a place in the NHL, it was him because he was like, I just didn't have the skill set to do what I did in juniors and the minors and do it in the NHL level as a top player. So he knows his role. He knows what he's supposed to do as as a fourth line player. He's good on the penalty kill. I was actually very impressed with his penalty kill. This year, because there was even a game in the postseason where I was watching in Madison Square Garden, and I said, just his hustle. He didn't have a stick, and he was just trying to get to the bench. He was kicking the puck out of the zone. It's just the way he plays. Even on the power play, you saw that, you know, as that net front presence, he did really, really well. And I think for him, it's just, it's a guy that knows where he needs to contribute. And I think that goes a long way as opposed to a player that, you know, you know their skill set, but they want to be somebody else. I think he fully embraced 
what Lindy Ruff wants of him and what Lindy Ruff asks of him to do. Absolutely. So let's go on from uh, the season in general. Let's talk about MVPs because there's a lot of players you could choose from. You could choose Jack Hughes, who was able to break Patrick Eliash's single season points record. You could go with Nico Heischer, great two-way player, second in the Selkie uh, award race, like I just mentioned. Jesper Bratt, you could maybe even say Timo Meyer or Akira Schmidt, because Schmidt was the main reason why the Devils were able to make it out of the first round against the Rangers during the playoffs. So I want to hear your thoughts. Who is your MVP in your in your eyes this past season for the Devils? Well, I'll go with the one devil that I actually had on my heart ballot um, for the awards, and I'll go with Jack Hughes. He was fifth on my uh, award ballot. But, yeah, 78 games, 43 points, 56 assists, 99 points. Does anything else need to be said? He had a 19-point advantage over Nico. And I know that all the NHL awards, they're very subjective, and it's your perspective on how you look at them. The way that I look at the awards personally, whether you agree with it or not, is I look to see – if there is that big jump between player one and player two, player two and player three. And for me having 19 points over Nico, that to me is like a standout. That's a standout performance. Yeah. For anybody who doesn't know, Christy is actually a member of the PHWA. So she does have a say when it comes to the award races. And I would ask you who uh, voted Connor McDavid so low in their MVP, but uh, just a little bit of a joke, but moving on. Um, yeah, the, the thing I say about Jack is that I think for me, it's the narrative because uh, I always say like stats are important, but I, I think if you have a good narrative story, you have a good chance to win the the Hart Memorial Trophy because my thing is, is like for Connor McDavid, and I'm not saying he did not deserve to win. He wholeheartedly deserved to win, but if I had to make a case as to why Jack should get it over him, the one thing I always lean on is the narrative because we expect for McDavid to uh, light the NHL world on fire. We expect for him to, you know, put up these godly type of performances. And the same could be said for a lot of other athletes and other major sports. There's a reason why someone like LeBron James won't win the MVP every year or Tom Brady in the NFL or whatever the case might be, because um, you expect that kind of thing. You expect that kind of greatness from all these players. I say for Jack, it's like, Let's look at the narrative. Last season, he was out for a, a good amount of time, and the Devils struggled mightily when he went out the second game of the year and and he didn't return until like late November, early December. The Devils were struggling. But when he comes back, the Devils were one of the best offensive teams in the league in my eyes, but people didn't really notice it. And that's the thing I always said was like last season, the Devils in my eyes – they were one of the best offensive teams in the league, but it didn't matter because if they scored four goals, then they let out five and then they lose and people just forget about it. Mm-hmm. So my thing was for Jack is like, look what he was able to do this season. He stayed healthy and he was able to uh, break Patrick Eliash's record, a record that has uh, stood in the devil's organization for what, like over 20 years. So that's my thing. And the Devils had a historical season. They had uh, the most wins in franchise history. They had the, uh, what, the most point turnaround in NHL history. So, and who's at the helm of it? Who's getting either the goals or the assists? It's Jack in, in my eyes. So that's my thing, which is I look at the narrative for it. And I actually wrote a paper on that uh, for one of my assignments. I said, if I had to make a case as to why Jack should get the MVP, the Hart Memorial Trophy over McDavid, 
that's where I'm going to lean towards, which is the narrative and what Jack had going against him and how he was able to basically suppress all those um, allegations or just a doubt that a lot of naysayers were uh, projecting on him. Well, and that, like the awards are always interesting to me. And that's why they have so many of us, you know, voting because you have a different opinion for it. This year, for me personally, and it's not just the heart, it's across the board. There's certain performances that just deserve recognition and what Connor McDavid did honestly was just dumb like his numbers were ridiculous but if you look at the rest of my ballot I go by who was the most important to their team so my ballot was Olmark at number two over Pasternak because I look at what he did as as goaltending look at his record and then try and argue with me Miko Rantanen I had at three Jason Robertson at four and Jack Hughes at five so my ballot looks to like the casual fan my ballot probably makes no sense but I can make a case for every single one Absolutely. It's always subjective and people have different perspectives on it. Before we continue with today's episode, I want to tell you guys about FanDuel because I want you guys to make some extra money. And as always, please remember to gamble responsibly. So take your first swing at betting MLB on FanDuel and get 10 times your first bet amount in bonus bets up to $200. That's right. Just 20 bucks and you'll land $200 in bonus bets win or lose that's two hundred dollars you can spend betting everything from the money line to the over and under to who you think is going to hit the first home run of the game all on an app that's safe secure and super easy to use plus when you win you could get paid instantly there's no better place to bet on mlb than fanduel america's number one sports book so sign up today and visit fanduel.com slash locked on to get up to two hundred dollars in bonus bets that's fanduel.com slash locked on FanDuel, official partner of Major League Baseball. Okay, let's get back to our discussion with Christy Flannery of the Hockey News. Take it away once again. So going from MVP, let's look at maybe an unsung hero on the Devils. And maybe we already talked about this player, but in your eyes, who uh, did really well for the Devils but won't get the recognition that they deserve? So this uh... I changed my answer to this just because of what I've been seeing online lately. I think it's just like ludicrous. You, the Devils do not make the postseason without Vitek Vanacek. And I think a lot of people are forgetting that what he did in the regular season to even get the team to a point where they were competing against the Rangers. And granted, Akira got them to the Carolina series. But if there's no if, if Vitek didn't do what he did, this team was not going to be in the playoffs and especially, or they were going to be the bubble team because goaltending is a really difficult situation because when the team's winning, you kind of look at the Jack Hughes. It's like, Oh, well, yeah, they're winning because look what Jack did. Look what Dougie did. Look what Nico did. But the minute the team loses, it's because of the goaltender and people kind of forget everything that happens in front of them. And it's kind of sad to see so many devils fans turn on VTech this summer when he joined Brodeur as the only goaltender in Devils history to have 30 plus wins. He went, you know, November, nine starts, eight wins, January, eight starts, eight wins, 18 wins, you know, 13 uh, wins out of 18 starts against the Metropolitan Division. He had a very strong regular season. And when you enter the postseason, you look at Akira, and he obviously did not have any playoff experience. VTech had three games over two seasons. So it's not like VTech was had this, you know, Connor Hellebuck or UC Soros experience in the postseason because he didn't. And I think that that his little blip in the postseason, which I'm sure nobody feels worse about that more than VTech, 
everyone's ready to, you know, send him away and trade him. And I think that you're forgetting what he did to get the team in the position that they were in to not only play the Rangers, but have that home ice advantage. Absolutely. And uh, my unsung hero actually is, uh, this might be interesting, but it's Timo Meyer, And I'll, I'll explain why momentarily, but to go off your point, you're absolutely right. The de- the devils don't get into that postseason uh, mm-hmm. situation uh, it, without uh, VTech because VTech had 30 plus wins. And a lot of people are forgetting about that. And I, like you said, a lot of people are quick to write them off and, I'm hearing all these trade discussions, these rumors for Connor Hellebuck or John Gibson. And I'm just like, look, uh, getting someone like Connor Hellebuck, he is a generational type talent and he, and he doesn't come around too often. I'm not going to condescend his playing, but getting him and just being uncertain about his future with the organization, that's a huge red flag in my eyes. And people are so quick to write off VTech. I'm just like, he had 30 plus wins. Yes, Pretty his great. post- his postseason uh, showing was not all that great, but you could say the same for a lot of other players as well, but we're not going to put them under the microscope all that much. So that's the other argument is that when you look at the postseason and you have fans say, well, look at VTech's play versus Akira's play. And again, you can't diminish what Akira did. It was outstanding to watch what he was able to do. But at the same time, the team as a whole played a lot better in front of Akira than they did in front of VTech. They didn't take half of the penalties and put Akira in the position to have be basically on the penalty kill for half of the third period, like they did with VTech. And I think when you look back at those games, it wasn't just VTech finding his rhythm. It was all of them trying to find their rhythm because they, a lot of them didn't experience like playoff hockey against the Rangers who really were experienced in the playoffs. So I think a lot of it is, again, it's subjective, but I think that VTech got a lot of hate for the postseason. And again, I'm not saying he had a great performance because he didn't, but I think there's a lot more to it than just black and white. Absolutely. So it, honestly, if the Devils run it with Vanacek and Schmid come next season, which might seem like the most likely outcome, then I'm not going to complain about it because Vanacek deserves another chance, similar to a lot of his other teammates. And I know Schmid was the reason why the Devils were able to get out the first round and we all love those underdog stories and things of that nature, but let's not uh, let, let's not crap on Vanacek and give up on him this quickly because a lot of people are forgetting what he was able to do during the regular season. And um, I think, you know, having that sort of humbling experience, I expect for Vanacek to come with a, a sense of urgency come next season. And I think we can expect something a little bit better from Vanacek in that sort of way. So uh Correct me if I'm mistaken for my un- for my unsung hero, Timo Meyer. So mm-hmm. a lot of people point to Meyer and say like he wasn't scoring a rapid amount like he was for the San Jose Sharks. But my thing is is like, okay, you're expecting for him to put up Jack Hughes type numbers when there's already a Jack Hughes on the team. Like I would like to think that Meyer is like the third or fourth guy in line when it comes to giving him the puck and trying to score because you got Hughes, you got Heischer, you got Brat who are already accustomed to the system. For Meyer, the reason why the Devils added him, I think one of the big reasons why is that one of the complaints that a lot of people had for Devils was that they were too, quote unquote, soft. So they needed someone to be, be a little bit more aggressive. And when they added Meyer to the mix, I think they became a lot like He's racking up the hits. He's playing a lot more aggressive. He's a big power forward down there, and no one's going to bully him near the net. 
And I saw this during the playoffs as well. He didn't score a single point in round one against the Rangers, but you saw it firsthand in the press box and I wish I was there, but still it's like, uh, what was Meyer doing? He was racking up the hits. He was uh, giving Igor Shesterkin some sort of hell, get, getting into his head a little bit because Meyer is that much of a menace. And uh, Jacob Truba just got tired of him and basically, yes, laid up, laid him down. But at the same time, it's just like we saw it in round one. We saw it in round two. Meyer's a lot more aggressive. He's a lot more physical. He just adds uh, a different um, flair to the to the roster. And Lindy Ruff even acknowledged that, saying that Meyer is just uh, a player that uh, of his caliber is something that doesn't come around too often. And a lot of players on the on the Devils team. They just couldn't do it because they can't match his size. They can't match his physicality. So I actually loved Meyer's production from a physical standpoint, from an, an aggression standpoint, and just changing the dynamic of the team. And now he does. He is capable of getting 40 goals. Don't get me wrong, but it's not his job to do so. And he was one of the main reasons why the Devils' power play improved because they went from 18th ranked in the entire league to finishing in 13th. I get it. It's sort of a mediocre position, it's middle of the pack, but still jumping up that many spots during that time span, that's very impressive. And I have high expectations going into the new year for Timo. So that's my unsung hero. Yes, Meyer, the scoring production wasn't the same as it was for San Jose Sharks, but look at the other aspects, look at the different dynamic, look at just his true impact on the roster as to how the Devils were able to be so successful this year. Well, the Devils aren't going to win anything with 12 Jack Hughes, as great as Jack is. You need that diversity. You need that, you know, grit. There, Everybody has plays a role, and you need that, you know, diversity. And that's why after last two seasons ago, Fitzgerald said, we have a lot of the same on the roster. And he said, I don't want a lot of the same, because a lot of the same is not going to win you anything. So you need those kinds of players, like an Eric Halla, an Andre Palat, a Timo Meyer to complement the players that are very similar, like Jack and, you know, Jesper Bratt. Absolutely. So moving on from unsung hero, let's look at an X factor you have on the team. So someone who gets a decent amount of praise, maybe not the most praise, but at the same time, people might still overlook them. So that happy medium between being an MVP and an unsung hero, who's your X factor on the roster? When I was preparing for this, my husband had one name, and I'm, we, already, we, we already know what that is. But you know what? I'm going to actually agree with him. I'm going to say Siegenthaler. Siegenthaler. I, don't, I don't think that Siegenthaler gets the credit that he – because I think when you look at defense, especially defensive defensemen, you're not going to notice when they're doing things right. You're not going to notice all the little things, sticks being in the right place, their play on the wall. But the minute they mess up – Severson's actually a great example of this – Everyone wants them off the team. And I think for Siegenthaler, he gets praise for what he does, but not like even this year, he had a career year offensively, but nobody's really talking about it. No one's, you know, no one's saying anything about it. Cause you're looking at Jack's year. You're looking at Dougie's year. You're looking at, you know, Nico's year and Siegenthaler is, you know, he's a quiet guy in the locker room, you know, at least around the media. And he just seems like a guy that just goes about his business and he does everything right. I mean, yes, he is the top defensive pair along with Dougie. But when you look at that pairing, your focus is usually on Dougie Hamilton. It's not on Siegenthaler. And I've always said this as somebody who does not play the game. Obviously, I can barely skate. But I don't think it's an easy task to be Dougie's defensive partner. No, but I think that's my thought on it, which gives me wanting to give Siegenthaler even more credit for what he does. 
Absolutely. And it's it's a it's a perfect dynamic. I think this this defensive uh, partnership that the Devils have formed, because if you look at, like you said, Hamilton and Siegenthaler, Siegenthaler is going to focus more on the defensive side of things, whereas Hamilton is going to focus more offensively. And then going down the line, Hughes and Marino, Hughes is going to be uh, focusing on the offense, Luke, to be exact. And then, uh, you, like I said, Marino, we saw this in game five against the Carolina Hurricanes, and which is why their minutes just skyrocketed. And then now I, I think we're projecting to see Ball and maybe Miller. So uh, I, I think Miller offense is in his repertoire a little bit. It's not going to be his main priority, but at the same time, he is capable of doing it as opposed to Ball. So and we talked about Kevin Ball during the playoffs. I think Ball is an excellent player, and I think he is definitely uh, uh, similar to Siegenthal, which is very uh, underrated, but still got a decent amount of praise. So my X factor, I would say Eric Halla, but towards the end of the season, a lot of people started to give him more praise, and a lot of people seem to be on board when he got extended. The evolution of Eric, I didn't mean to cut you off, but the evolution of this fan base's relationship with Eric Halla, from my perspective, is hilarious. I can't even get past how funny that evolution was. No, you're right, because uh, if you need proof, go back to our conversation in November, because I said to you, I want Halla off the team. What is he doing out there? I remember in January, somebody asked Lindy, like, why isn't Halla a healthy scratch? And then towards the end of the season, he just goes on this, or after Lindy said those comments, people started to look at Hala in a different perspective. Okay, let's see what he's doing to Jack. Let's see what how this uh, partnership is forming, his uh, line buddy. And then towards the end of the season, he goes on this scoring streak. And then first round of the playoffs against the Rangers, he becomes the hero after doing that legendary uh, Selly on Shesterkin um, and basically has now become a, a – uh, he, he's become uh, banned from the New York Rangers and Carolina Hurricanes fan base. It's been it's been crazy. But uh, I, I think Hala has been given his roses, which is why – I don't consider him uh, or I'm not going to say he's an X writer because I think a lot of people will, but I'm going to go with uh, a player you just mentioned a who's now no longer on the roster. And that is Damon Severson because he never got enough credit. He never got enough credit. Well, he got credit for being a bonehead. I'll give, I'll say that, but, but here's what I will say. Severson. And this actually surprised me when I was doing his player profile he suited up in 81 of the 82 games. I remember the one game in which he was scratched. That was after the Philadelphia Flyers game in December, in which he did have a boneheaded giveaway that costed the Devils a game. And that was punishment because that he ran a play that wasn't in the playbook. He tried to make a pass at the wrong time with the wrong score at the wrong time. Right, right. And that's what Lindy kind of said post-game. And I remember that vividly because I remember talking to Severson and Rupp about that. Um, and then, yeah, so Severson was scratched out of punishment. But the one thing I need to give credit for Severson for is that he's an offensive-minded defenseman, and he's still capable of being a top-four defenseman. But he took a back seat this year, which was he played the bottom-four defenseman role. He took it graciously. He knows that the main focus on the offensive side of things when it comes to the blue line for Devils is mostly Dougie Hamilton. And... um Severson still, and the advanced analytics show it, he still had a really productive year, which is why he was never a healthy scratch. And I still like to think that Severson is um, somewhat of a fan favorite and because it's like, yes, he was a bonehead at times, but he was our bonehead, as I like to say. Like, 
you know, it's like that person where it's like, yes, they're this, they're that, they do this, they, and it drives me crazy. But sort of like it, it's sort of like being in a in in a for lack of a better description, sort of like being in a relationship. It's not perfect, but at the same time, it's your you know nothing is perfect. What is perfect? So. I, I, I like to think of that for Severson, which is he did the little things to help the Devils win. And I got to give him credit in that case. And he was still, and people started to realize like uh, Severson is actually a very productive defenseman. So that was my X Factor player. He's a solid, he's a solid player. And I, I know people are probably going to hate me in the comments, but when you look at the playoffs, him and Kevin Ball, I think were the most steady of all the defensemen. And I think too, you have to, you know, talking about Severson, Severson had the A taken off of his sweater as well. Like Javen handled his time in New Jersey with such grace and as a human being. And I, I have said this to um, any Columbus Blue Jackets media that I've come in contact with. They're going to love him because he's, he's great as a, on a human being. You can't get better. And he was a player. Like you said, he could have 30 games where nobody said anything about him because he just consistently did all the little things right. And then he made one bad pass, one blind pass, and everybody wanted him off the team. And that was really tough. Like that was, it gets unfortunate, you know, but I guess every team has their, their whipping boy that, you know, it's going to take everything. And that was Severson for some reason. Like I said, it's sort of like, it's sort of like a relationship. It's not perfect, but what relationship is. And, you know, there's a reason why you sort of are attached to, I I'd say that sort of player, which is he's, the longest tenured player on the roster and people have grown accustomed to him. They know his true potential. And like I said, I think Columbus, they got an interesting dynamic in Damon Severson and Ivan Provorov. I think that's going to be an interesting defensive pairing. Not what I had on my bingo card, but I think Columbus should be happy with Severson and what he can do. All right. So this sort of goes into the next segment, which is let's talk about the off season because Tom Fitzgerald got busy in terms of the trades, Free agency, mostly two-way deals, but he still was able to make a couple signings. But obviously, the main priority was to re-sign and retain a lot of players. So I want to get your thoughts on the offseason up to this point. What has been your favorite move? I think there were a couple. I think when you look at the roster last year, there were a lot of players that you kind of saw Lindy Ruff maneuver in and out of the lineup, depending on what he needed at that time. And I think that it would be rude to say that it was dead weight because I've seen that term be tossed around. It's not dead weight. It's just, again, having maybe too much of the same. And I think what he did was he kind of took some of those players that maybe would fall into the too much of the same category and he turned them into players like Tyler Toffoli. Right. I mean, you turned Sharon Govich, who is a very good player, I think that, you know, the writing was on the wall. You saw that his role was changing. You saw kind of what was happening. And he took that player who has, who's young and has promise and could do really well in Calgary, especially on a top, you know, back with top players. And he turned it into a Stanley Cup champion. And he brought that veteran, you know, presence back into his locker room. And that's what the team needs. Just because there's a trade, I think people immediately look at a trade and they think that there's like a winner and a loser. And I always said, like, the Hall of Tazaka trade is a win-win. And it's not necessarily trading a bad player. It's trading a player that doesn't fit into your puzzle. And Toffoli's a better fit in the Devil's puzzle right now than Sharon Govich. Then, you know, letting Boquist walk. Like, Boquist, again, I liked Boquist last year. I defended him a lot last year. But, again, it's kind of a lot of the same. So what he's doing is he's adding in the pieces that he needs, not necessarily getting rid of bad pieces, if that makes sense. 
Right. No, I, I totally get it. And I talked about it on my show before, too, which was I think for Sharon Govich is I liked him. He's a fast skater. He can definitely be a lightning rod if he gets it going. He's good on the penalty kill. But the problem is, is like, what's his role going to be come next year? Because we if it wasn't for injuries after the Timo Meyer trade, Sharon Govich was mostly a healthy scratch. And the only time he did get in, like I said, is to replace someone that's injured. Yeah. So my thing was, is that I just don't think he was going to thrive with the devils. And I don't think it was going to be a good opportunity for him. He was set to become an RFA. And I think it was, I, I don't, I didn't see him returning to the devils organization. I think they would have tried to work something out to get him out of here, but he was able to flip it for Tyler to And that came out of left field in my eyes. I did not see that one coming at all. I was it made sense to me. It made sense. But it makes sense because Toffoli, my thing is, is like he is def he's definitely capable of getting a lot of points. He was able to have a career year with Calgary just this past season. I think he can help out on the power play because I think the problem with the Devils last year on the power play was that they were a little too top heavy. Like the first power play unit was really good, but the second power play unit somewhat inconsistent. And a lot of people had their doubts every time those guys entered onto the rink. But now you get to fully into the mix. Maybe he could play on the top unit. Maybe he could play on the second unit in terms of power play. I think he's going to be a big help in that regard. So, um, yeah, to full and to fully is good on the rush. I think he could help with uh, rebound opportunities. I think he's going to be a good fit. He has championship pedigree underneath his belt back in 2014. Um, so I think to fully, whether he's a rental or not, I think this is definitely a good investment for Fitzgerald because he was able to flip Sharon Govich for Toffoli, and now that top six unit for Devils is stacked. Well, and I think, too, you need to put into perspective with Toffoli that Toffoli had a great year in Calgary on a team that really wasn't that great, depending on who you talk to. But at the same time, he's coming to a new team. He's learning a new system. So again, I always say this with new players, just temper your expectations a little bit and give them time to adjust. Because like every player I have ever talked to has said the exact same thing. It's easier when it's an off-season like signing or acquisition because you have training camp to go through. Like Timo Meyer, he had it, it was very, it's very difficult for a player to come in in the middle of the season and try and just adapt and learn. And when I talked to Timo, I asked him point blank, is this system similar to San Jose? And he was like, no, not at all. So when I have people DMing me and they're like, oh, after five games, like, oh, Timo's not putting up points. I was like, you need to like back up for a second and realize like the human aspect that comes along with this. They're not just robots where you could just insert them in and it's going to just be seamless. Like there's going to be an adjustment period. And I'm not saying that Tafoli's going to have a major one, but look at what Palat. Right. Everyone's so disappointed with Palat. And it's like it was his first year in a new team. He dealt with injury. Give him a minute. I don't like, yeah, I don't think he would probably be thrilled with his season either, but give him a minute and try again, you know, once you're fully healthy. Because those are all things that affect a player's performance on the ice. And sometimes it's neglected a little bit and you don't really realize it from the fan perspective sometimes. Yeah. And it's not a video game. It's going to take time, like Tom Fitzgerald has been saying religiously. Um, to the media, which is like, look, he needs some adjustment. But I think one of the moves that I'm really excited for is like, I could say Tyler Toffoli. That's obviously the uh, the big one, but I actually love Colin Miller. I think he's going to be an interesting fit. And I think he is the epitome of what the Devils have been trying to do the last few years, which is find defensemen that, that fall under the rug, but have a lot of upside. So he did it with Ryan Graves. 
He did it with Jonas Siegenthaler. He did it with John Marino. Now Fitzgerald he was able to trade a 2025 fifth round pick for Colin Miller. And I think that's going to, and Miller is really good in hits. He's good in defensive point shares. His plus minus was good. He was good in blocks. I think, and I think the less you ask out of him, the better he's going to perform. Mm-hmm. So I think Miller, in my eyes, that's an interesting one. And I and that's one I'm really looking forward to, especially now since you lost a couple defensemen in Ryan Graves and Damon Severson. And I think uh, Miller can sort of do what Severson and Graves did last year, which is they might not light up the score sheet, but they're able to do the other intangibles to help the team win. So, and I told him, I, I, I know you were in on this, um, this call, but I told Miller that a few days ago saying you were ranked this in, in Dallas, you did this, you did that. How will you slide in? How you, will you fit in? And I, like I said, I think the less you ask out of him, the better he's going to perform. And yes, his playoff performance wasn't really all that good. He did have a couple of turnovers that I'm sure the stars did not like, and that's why they uh, gave him the healthy scratch, uh, um, uh, treatment, but I like I said, I, it's going to be a different system. It's going to be a different dynamic, and he doesn't have to be the go-to guy. He doesn't have to play the top line minutes. So, and I remember when um, Amanda, Catherine, and Matt were talking about this on New Jersey Devils television, and I think this is going to be very exciting for uh, Miller. New opportunity for him, and I that's an interesting uh, interesting trade for Fitzgerald. I, I like that one. Well, yeah, because when you look at it, you, you know, the top four is pretty much set. Everyone knows what the Devils' top four defensemen are going to be. And when you look at that third pairing, there's options. There's insurance. They have Kevin Ball, who could play both sides. You have Colin Miller. You have Brendan Smith, who could play both sides. And depending on what they want to do with, you know, Nemich and how he's going to perform at, you know, camp, they have options. And that's something that I think you kind of learn, especially when you went through seven goaltenders, that having that insurance at every position is key. So when you have those potential four players that you can kind of play with, with that third pairing, it's, it's nothing, nothing bad's going to come out of that. It's all going to be good. Yeah. And I'm definitely looking forward to it. All right. So Christy, before we wrap up, I want to get your quick thoughts heading into the new year. What are your expectations for the devils? They're going to be competitive. I think this is a team that's going to be a top three, at least team in the metropolitan division. It's going to be a lot tougher for them because they're not going to surprise anybody. You're not going to hear coaches like you did in October and November say, oh, the Devils are coming to town and nobody really knew what to expect from them. People know. They know what to expect from Jack. They know what to expect from Nico. They know this is a really fast, speedy team. And now it's a matter of proving that last year wasn't like a fluke, that this is what they are. And they have to now own live up to it because it's not going to be easy. Yeah, and I'm, uh, I'm really excited. I think the expectation is they're going to be Stanley Cup contenders and they definitely have some good odds going their way. So, uh, Christy, I want to thank you for taking the time out of your busy day to join me on today's episode. Before we wrap up, where can everyone find you at? Okay, and I got to be honest, you're so blurry at this point. I'm just, like, staring at my computer hoping that this is even good because you're just, like, a like a blob right now. Good on my end. Good on my end. <laughs> um, you can find me on, what is it, Twitter. I'm on threads, even though threads really, like, isn't it? Instagram and TikTok at instilettos underscore NHL. And then I'm all the right. site editor for the hockey news team site for the Devils, which is where all my content and articles are. I hate the word content, but that's where everything is. Awesome. So want to thank Christy for once again, taking the time out for a busy day to uh, talk Devils and talk everything from the season, the off season, and also 
uh, what's been going on within the locker room. So Christy, the pleasure is always mine. And we hope to have you back in the near future. Thanks, Trey.